My name is Tom Toole, and I'm delighted to be preaching at San Marino Community Presbyterian Church this morning. It's an honor to be here, and I'm always glad to be a pinch hitter for my good friend, Jeff O'Grady, who's on a well-deserved vacation. My wife, Suzanne, and I, and our son, Toby, and his wife, Katie, and our three grandchildren worship here at San Marino Community Church. We consider this our church home, and we love this church. We recognize that this is a very healthy congregation. But we know that healthy congregations don't just happen by chance. They are grown in the soil of God's love with good, skilled gardeners like the lay leaders of this church, like the staff of this church, who provides the kind of soil and nurture where the members of the congregation and visitors can blossom and bloom and bear fruit. So it's an honor for me to preach here in a congregation that I dearly love. And I'm grateful to Jeff and the pastors and the session for this kind invitation. For the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans as we have been. But Jessica Von Lower and I are going to do a series within the series. It's a series on Romans, but our series within the series is titled, Don't Forget the Things that God Wants Us to Always Remember. And we are looking at a text in Romans 7 and 2 in Romans 8 over the next three weeks and lifting up three biblical principles that we think are essential to the Christian life that God doesn't want any of us to ever forget. Today, we look at Romans 7, and our principle is we need God. Don't ever forget that we need God. It sounds so basic and so simple, but actually is where the Christian life begins. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, verse 14 and following, is giving us his spiritual autobiography. And notice how vulnerable he is. He tells us the truth about himself. And I have a hunch that just as I relate to this text, I have a hunch you're going to relate to these words too. Listen for the word of God. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another war at work within me, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? And I've asked you when I've preached before here, if you would mind opening my prayer posture to you. My prayer posture is open hands. And if you're open to it, I'd love you to open your hands. I pray this way so that God might take things out of my hands and so that I'm available, that God might put new things into my hands. If you're willing, would you pray with open-handed posture with me? 
Gracious and loving God, take out of our hands, our hearts, our minds this morning, anything that would block us from you, from hearing your voice and your word, so that you might put into our hands, our hearts, our mind, the word that you have in store for us today. I pray that every child, every teenager, every adult who hears these words would not only hear them, but heed them. And that we would not leave after this message from our homes or apartments as we came, but we would be different people. To that end, pour through me the gift of preaching that these words might truly be your living word to us. And we know they will be, for we pray with anticipation and boldness in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I absolutely love the story of the Roman Catholic priest who went to the microphone one Sunday morning, as he did every Sunday morning, and he was about to say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation was going to respond, and also with you. But this particular Sunday morning, the microphone was malfunctioning. So instead of saying, the Lord be with you, and the people would respond, and also with you, he said, there's something wrong with this microphone, and they said, and also with you. I love that story. I just wish we could be together so I could hear your laughter a little bit. But believe it or not, this is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. He is saying, there's something wrong with me. It's like he goes outside of himself and looks inside and says, what is wrong with me? I don't understand my own actions. I know the good that I want to do, but I don't do it. Instead, sometimes I do the very thing I didn't want to do. I can will what is right with my mind, but I can't do it. In fact, he says, I find it to be a law. When I want to do something good, evil lies close at hand. Instead of doing the thing I want to do, I sometimes do the very thing I I didn't want to do. And this, Paul says, is the human predicament. Some time ago, Jeff O'Grady invited me to play golf at the San Gabriel Country Club. And I practiced, got ready for this round, because I'm, I'm not a great golfer, but I do the best I can. And actually, I hit my first shot right into the middle of the fairway, and I felt pretty good about myself. And I looked and saw that it was a short hole, and I thought, you know, I could hit the ball over the sand traps, onto the green in two, get two putts, and I could make a par four on the first hole. This would be a great way to start the round. So I'm in the fairway, I'm feeling good about myself, I take out my six iron, I'm thinking I'm going to hit a great shot, but instead of hitting it over the sand trap, I hit it into the sand trap. I did the very thing I didn't want to do, but then I thought, I'm not going to let this get me down, I'm in the sand trap, I'm going to hit it out in one shot, make my putt, I'll still get a par four, but instead of taking one shot to get out of the sand trap, it took me two shots to get out of the sand trap, and then I made two more putts, and instead of getting my par four, I got a double bogey six. You know, I hate golf. But I got to tell you, sometimes when I want to do right and want to make a par, a double bogey lies close at hand. Is there anybody listening to this message today who has ever done something you didn't want to do? You had every intention not to do it, but you still did the very thing you didn't want to do. I don't just mean in the game of golf. I mean in the game of life. Have you ever been in a tense situation with a family member, a colleague, a neighbor, somebody at work, and there's a little fire going on, there's something, there's a little turmoil, 
and you want to take some water and you want to put it on the fire and, and douse the fire so it'll go out. But instead of picking up a bottle of water, you pick up a can of gasoline and you do the very thing you didn't want to do. You wanted to make the situation better, but you made it a lot worse. Is there anybody here who's ever done anything you didn't want to do or said anything you didn't want to say and you made a situation much worse? In Romans 7, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is the human predicament. This is why every human being has to face this. We can't do the good we want to do. Instead, the evil we don't want to do is what we do. And Paul is so frustrated with himself, so disgusted with himself, he throws up his hands and says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body that's taken me to death? I know what's right, I just can't do it. Who's going to save me? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul discovers that he needs God. He knew the Jewish law. He had memorized the Jewish law. He had studied the Jewish law. He was a Jewish Pharisee, but he couldn't live out the Jewish law. He couldn't do it. He needed a savior. Make no mistake about it. The Christian life begins when we come to the realization there's something wrong with us. The Christian life begins when we realize I need God. This is why when Jesus started his teaching ministry in the very first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed for you literally, blessed are you literally when you're spiritually bankrupt for you can inherit the kingdom of heaven because when you're spiritually bankrupt and know you've got nothing going for you, then you come to the realization I need God. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was walking with his disciples, and they were always eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the, the Pharisees, these people like the Apostle Paul, who knew the Jewish law and tried to live it out perfectly, they were critical of Jesus. And they went to his disciples, and they said to them, why does your master always eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overheard them. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In other words, he's saying to the Pharisees, do you know you're sick? Do you know your need for God? It's not until you know your need for God that you can receive God into your life. Be very sure. God doesn't want any of us to ever forget that we need God. You know, this pandemic has taught us many things. But if it has taught us anything, it's that life is a fragile gift. It can be taken away from any one of us at a moment's time, at a snap of a finger, it can be taken away from us. Not any of us are immune from the coronavirus. My wife Suzanne and I got noticed just a few days ago that, that one of our dearest friends in Houston, Texas, the mom of, of our, one of our son Toby's very best friends, died of coronavirus. She was about our age, and we felt very vulnerable when we heard of her death. But this woman whose name, nickname was Cookie, we all called her Cookie, she was the most delightful, effusive, effervescent woman. She was an absolute joy to be around. And you almost think she's invincible. She, she couldn't get COVID-19, but, but she not only got it, but she died from it. How could this be possible? It doesn't make sense, but... We've all been confronted face-to-face -face with this COVID-19. I mean, even a, a great athlete like Russell Westbrook, an All-American at UCLA, played basketball, nine-time NBA All-Star, played at Westwood at UCLA, not far from this church. 
He's now got COVID-19 and he's got to have a 14-day quarantine away from his teammates. You wouldn't think Russell Westbrook could get COVID-19. You wouldn't get somebody enthusiastic like Cookie Mays could get it, but they've got it and Cookie died from it. And we just hope and pray Russell Westbrook recovers like all the others recover. But but it's brought us face to face with our vulnerability. We need help. We need God. But could we be honest enough to admit in the authenticity of this great congregation that it's hard for a Russell Westbrook. It's hard for a Cookie Mays who's been successful. It's hard for people like us who are very successful in different walks of life. It's hard for us to say the words, I need God. I need help. We don't naturally say this. We want to be strong. We want to tough it out. We want, we want to do it on our own power. We want to be able to conquer things on our own. G.K. Chesterton's an author. I try to read almost everything he's ever written. He's got a great wit and wonderful novelist and poet and writer. But, but he was a great committed Christian, really a Christian apologist. And he had a great way to turn a phrase. Chesterton said, the most dangerous spiritual disease is thinking that one is quite well. Because when you think you're quite well, you think to yourself, I don't need God. And Chesterton knew the Christian life begins when you recognize your own need. And when Chesterton was asked one time by a reporter, Dr. Chesterton, what's wrong with our world? Chesterton replied with a wry smile, I am. You see, Chesterton knew there was something wrong with him. He could admit it. He could face it. And when he faced it, he could realize that he needs God. He needed a Savior. And like the Apostle Paul, he could let the Savior into his life. Have we let the Savior into our lives? Have we let God in? Or do we try to be toughing it out and do it all in our own power? Well, Dr. Lorna Breen of New York City was a great doctor, and she tried to tough it out. Dr. Breen was like so many of us, very well-educated. She went to one of the top Ivy League schools and one of the great medical centers and graduated from a medical school in the United States. She not only was an immunologist, but she was the head of one of the top emergency rooms in New York City at New York Presbyterian Medical Center. She was in charge of the whole emergency room. Her colleagues described her as absolutely, totally unflappable. She didn't let anything get to her. And besides that, she had a kind of a balanced life. She was a skier and on a ski team, and she played the cello and a volunteer orchestra. I'd love that. And she was in a Bible study at her church in New York City, and, and she was a marathon runner. She seemed to do everything and balance it and, and keep all of her priorities in line until the coronavirus came to New York City. During January and February, she knew something wasn't right. And these people kept coming in, and they had a hard time sometimes diagnosing this illness. And by February, she knew it was coronavirus, and something was terribly wrong. And this was starting to spread. And they were running out of personal protective equipment, and they were running out of materials. And the doctors and nurses were running out of supplies. And there were literally ambulances all the way down the street and around the block in New York City waiting to get into New York Presbyterian Hospital because they had people on the stretcher in the ambulance who had needed life and death care. Their life was hanging in the balance. And they were literally all down the street. And then in her emergency room, that she it was impeccably organized and it was brilliantly all organized. In the hallways and in every little nook and cranny was a body on a stretcher and... Finally, this was too much for Dr. Breen, and 
She called her sister twice a week, and her sister realized that there was something not right with Dr. Breen, that she just didn't seem to be her, her enthusiastic self. And, but Dr. Breen toughed it out the way many of us toughed it out. She just kept going. She went faster and faster and harder and harder and worked longer and longer hours and got less sleep. And she stopped doing the marathons and stopped skiing and stopped the cello in the orchestra and stopped going to her Bible study. And she didn't have time for that. She just worked and slept, worked and slept. And she started to sleep less and less and less. And her sister got so worried about her that her sister called the head of the New York hospital and said, please go visit my sister. I, I think she's in trouble. And the boss said, what do you mean? She said, I, I just think she's maybe clinically depressed. So they went to her apartment and they, they found her there. And they found, in fact, they, two of them, doctors examined her and found that she really was clinically depressed. And they asked her for permission to put her in the psychiatric hospital. She didn't want to do it. She, she couldn't really admit, I need help. But, but she did it because her boss asked her to. But all during the 11 days of her hospitalization, she didn't feel right about being in there. And she tried to project a, a more positive attitude so she could get out of the hospital. And, but one day she said to one of the doctors treating her, you know, this has ruined my career. I, I can't go on after this. And the doctor said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, I, I, doctors aren't supposed to get sick. I mean, we're, we're to heal people. We're to cure people. We're, we're physicians. He said, yeah, but we still get sick. We're still human beings. And she said, no, no, you don't get it. I mean, I thought I was immune from all this. I was going to heal people and, and fix people. But, but in the midst of this virus, I couldn't do it. And two days, I hate to even say this, after she got out of the psychiatric unit, Dr. Breen, this erudite, brilliant doctor, took her life. Her family counts her as a victim of COVID-19 as well. But they said she's even a victim of an even more insidious and serious disease. The disease of not being able to admit or say the three hardest words in the English language to say, I need help. She couldn't say those words. So her family, when they wrote the obituary and when friends called and they wanted to send flowers, they said, no, 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 please, no flowers. But in lieu of flowers, would you make a contribution to New York Presbyterian Hospital? Because we want to start a program for doctors to learn how to say the words, I need help. To learn how to say, I need God, even. And they've started such a program at that medical hospital where doctors are learning that, that mental health issues are not a stigma, but they're a part of life. Everybody needs this. We all need help. We all need to be able to say the words, I need God. Well, don't you see in light of this story about Dr. Breen, don't you see how important this Romans 7 is? I mean, the Apostle Paul had everything going for him. This is a bold statement, but I believe it's true. The Apostle Paul was one of the most competent, articulate, and most intelligent people who's ever lived. He was educated in the best schools in Tarsus. 
He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest of all Pharisees. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He not only studied the law and knew the law, he memorized the law. He internalized the law. The law was within him. He lived the law. He loved the Jewish law. He tried to live it out. And this is where he says, I did the very thing I didn't want to do. I knew what to do with my mind, but I couldn't live it out with my body and my life. And sometimes I did the very thing I didn't want to do. This is not just Paul's predicament. This is the human predicament. This is what all of us have to deal with. The apostle Paul discovered, I need God. I need a savior. Can I say it? Could you say it? I need God. We're in our lives right now. Do we need God? You know, if you're a parent or a grandparent of, of children, thinking about school in the fall, You talk about a complicated situation, that is extremely complex. What do we do? The schools may not open, probably will not open here in California. What are we going to do? Are we going to homeschool the kids? Are we going to have a homeschool network of some kind, rotate teaching? Well, then what do two people do, parents who, who are both working? What do you do? Or one parent's working. What do you do? How do you care for children? How do you teach children? What's going to happen to them? This is complicated And even more than that, the Wall Street Journal is telling us that small businesses throughout the United States are closing at record numbers. And and we're on the verge of, of economic crisis. This unemployment rate is very scary. And there's so many issues in our nation and our world that are extremely complicated. And of all times, this is a time when we need to say, I need God. I can't fix this. We don't know what to do. It's time to actually let God into our lives. But it's not easy for people like us in San Marino and a Russell Westbrook or a Cookie Mays or or any of these people, a Dr. Lorna Breen, to let God into our lives. It's not easy. My friend George McCausland learned the hard way how to let God into his life. Dr. McCausland was a director of a YMCA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Great person. But in his early 50s, when he was working 70 hours a week, executive director of the Y, lots of responsibility, in charge of the exercise program and the fundraising and the marketing and doing everything, doing all this work and doing it brilliantly. He had the leading YMCA in the city of Pittsburgh. But at the age of 52, early 50s, he had a heart attack and he almost died. Well, the doctor, when he was discharging him from the hospital, said, George, you got to do something different, man. You got to take care of yourself. And George said, well, I got to get back to work is what I got to do. And the doctor said, George, you're working 70 hours a week. You've got to cut this out. 40 hours at most. In fact, I'm telling your wife, I think between 30 and 35 for a while, then work up to 40 slowly, but no more than 40. George said, well, there's all responsibilities on my shoulders. He said, George, you're not indispensable. Learn how to delegate. Let other people help you. It would do them good. It would do you good. George, you got to change your life, change your habits. So George McCausland, my dear friend in Pittsburgh, went home, sat at his porch, and wrote God a letter. And this is what he wrote. Dear God, I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. And George told me, wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. Is there anybody listening to this sermon other than me who needs to resign as general manager of the universe? 
Because you know, when you face these challenging things like school for your kids and economic uncertainty or maybe an illness that you can't conquer, we tend to take it on our shoulders and do what Dr. Breen did. Work more hours, try harder, work, work, work. Try to solve the problem yourself instead of letting God in. And what George McCausland taught me is I had to learn how to resign as general manager of the universe and to let God in. But it's hard. It was hard for me on September the 11th, 2001. I was the pastor of a church in Midtown Manhattan in New York City on that day when the terrorist attack came on the World Trade Center. Smoke was billowing up Fifth Avenue where I pastored a church on the middle of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street and people started coming in late in the morning and they were just kind of sitting there and wanting something and I, I think they needed God but they weren't sure what they needed and our custodian said, Tom, you got a sanctuary full of people here. So we went down and we did a service at 12 o'clock and we opened with the hymn, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, Our Hope for Years to Come, Our Shelter from the Stormy Blast, and Our Eternal Home. We sang that and had words of scripture and words of comfort and we ministered to people at 12 o'clock and then let them out and then a new group was wanting to come in and, and about six or 700 people came in at each service. We did a service at 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock. We, we never stopped. We, we would usher one group out, another group came in and finally at 10 o'clock I went home and got on a phone call with the clergy of New York and they said, Tom, would you, would your church, it's right in Midtown Manhattan, right in the center, would you, would you host the service? I said, sure, we'd be happy to. Well, could you ask your choir director to direct a choir? We'll have an interfaith choir and select some Bible passages. And oh, by the way, make it an interfaith service. It doesn't want to offend the, the Jews or the Muslims or Christians. It don't, don't want to offend anybody. But could you come up with a service that would be for every person? Of course, there's no pressure on me at all. So I was thinking, oh, man, I was kind of felt overwhelmed. I hung up the phone. And at 11 o'clock, I, I turned on the TV. And I hadn't seen the TV all day. I hadn't seen the planes flying into the World Trade Center. I hadn't seen them. So I watched this. And I told Suzanne about this service. And, and I, I'm not a crier, but, but my eyes fill with tears. And she said, it's tough to watch. I said, it is tough to watch. But the reason my eyes are filled with tears is I, I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't do this. I, I can't host this service. I can't put the service together. I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm scared. And my wife looked at me and said, of course you're scared. Of course you're not strong enough. This is something that's really never happened in our nation before. And then she hugged me and she said something that I never forgot. She said, you know, you've always been telling people throughout all your ministry that they don't have to be strong. What they have to do is accept God's strength. And that's what you have to do, accept God's strength. And I did. I resigned as general manager of the universe for that service. And I let God in. I let God help me. And I'm telling you, the year after September 11th, 2001, when we were ministering to all these people impacted in our whole nation in some ways, was the most meaningful year of my whole ministry. Now listen, I don't believe God causes everything that happens to happen. I don't believe it. 
I don't believe God causes 9-11 or the pandemic. I, I don't believe God causes everything that happens. I think God allows it, but I don't understand it. It's a mystery. I don't understand that why God allows some things, but this is what I know. Although God doesn't cause everything to happen that happens, I believe that God speaks to us powerfully in the midst of the vicissitudes of life. And God says to every one of us, in the midst of this challenge, will you please let me in? I never intended for you to bear all these burdens on your own power. I never intended it. Please put your trust in me. Put your weight down on me. Don't try to bear this thing on your own power. Put your trust in me. Let me in. So San Marino Community Presbyterian Church, when the vicissitudes and the challenges of life come our way as they are right now, remember, we don't have to be strong on our own power. What we have to do is let God into our life. Accept God's strength. Because you know what? We're just like the Apostle Paul. And we're just like every other human being who ever lived. We need God. Don't ever forget it. Amen.